Welcome into TFW Live. It's the best kept secret in fantasy football where we keep that week one feeling going all year long. This is episode 301, Best Ball Strategy with Hayden Winks. I'm Big Travi, and I'm joined here as always by my best friends Austin and Johnny Game Time Hicks. And a big welcome to you, Whisper Nation, all of you in the chat. We got to give a big, huge shout out to our YouTube members that are supporting the show through a monthly subscription. Brett Zabo, John Credit, Eric Lorenzen, Donnie Tubbs, Jersey Jay, Hannibal, and Nick. And also a shout out to our patrons who have supported the show throughout. We have big updates for our Patreon coming this month, so stay tuned. If you'd like to join our growing list of YouTube members, click the join next to the video right now. The join button right there. Click it and you will be ready. And of course, we got to start off with all the social media followers that have joined Whisper Nation this week. Max, Barolo, Philip, Angelo, Ian, Nicholas, Jess, D. Johnson, Nine, Andrew Anderson, I think is how that one goes. J. Ray Shrew. And if you love fantasy football and want to join a community where you know you belong, hit that subscribe button on the YouTube channel. We're trying to get just one more subscriber. Just one more. Could be you. And if could you're new, let us. Yeah, it could be. Uh, if, if you want to know, uh, if you want to let us know where you're streaming from, we will shout you out right here on the show. But today's show is packed with an awesome guest, very special to the show, Hayden Winks from Underdog Fantasy. What's going on, Hayden? I love the vibe of the show. The intro music was great. The intro was good. We got the flag up top. I'm here for all of you guys. Energy is great. Let's oh, go, Hayden. Let's, yeah, let's go, go, baby. Covers our terrible takes. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's going to be fine. We're taking you away from some of that Snoop Connor action here that's in the Hall of Fame game. We're just stoked to get football back, right, fellas? Yeah. I mean, it's awesome uh, that we're, you know, Hayden's been living it right there next to the LA Rams camp, but we are stoked to get it going here. Um, and to start it off, Hayden, before we dive into talking that ball, we want to talk a little bit about you and what you're up to and let Whisper Nation get to know you here. So I'll start it off with what year you started playing fantasy football. So my intro was in fantasy baseball with my dad like hmm. 20 years ago, and I was obsessed over it. I was the kid reading the newspapers, grinding all the nice. stuff. My dad was like an AL only league and that <laughs> kind of uh, morphed into me playing fantasy football in high school with my friends and that league still is going today and then i've been doing it as an actual analyst for like the last five-ish years kind of on off um i was working for the chargers for a second where i couldn't play fantasy and then since then i've been at roto world and now underdog fantasy so full-time for like four years but fantasy sports for my entire life did Do that you... change recently because austin eckler is a charger and he's playing fantasy yeah austin eckler i he, i think he's going to be around him for a while in the media stuff he's really good at it. he is like a legit fantasy football ambassador and he's like a really dope guy like weight room like everything that you see media wise he was like that i had a couple of, uh, interactions with him while working he's just that's he's awesome, awesome dude that's awesome uh do you root for your nfl team or your fantasy team more fantasy for sure the only yeah. team i have like a true allegiance to is usc football uh I, oh. I vote for like the I root for the Angels and the Dodgers. Give me Lakers. I'm the LA guy, but the only mm. team I actually like truly care about is USC football and USC basketball. Recently, uh, the rest of the thing is just my fantasy squads. City um, of Champions. It is what it is. Favorite fantasy player all time, Hayden. Uh, going back to the baseball stuff, Vladimir Guerrero. That was like Ooh. my guy forever. When he came to the Angels, it was like batting 320, Love swinging like a madman, and still hitting dingers <laughs> is the best. He basically bat would hit the dirt almost every time. It was yeah. amazing. <laughs> Fancy player that's burned you the most. 
most infamously was last year Trey Sermon. I was a Trey Sermon uh, guy, and that went about as bad as it could possibly have gone. I was wrong on tape evaluation, depth chart, uh, the uh, everything was just bad. So yeah, that was man. I that one hurts hurts me. I took a first round in a dynasty in our dynasty league of record. It was it was bad. The training camp reports have been positive for the record. I am not. Uh, <laughs> yeah. we're not out yet, yeah, man. Yeah. I'm ready to get hurt again. I, I, I am. Yeah. What is your favorite live draft memory of all time? Um, well, two years ago, it was, uh, two drafts ago, my co-host Josh Norris set the record for the most accurate mock draft of all time. Ooh, and we were whoa. doing a stream right after it. And like, we obsess over the mock drafts yeah. and it was like, I'm literally the best one of all time. There's been thousands and thousands of these. It was actually incredible. And he was so drunk. So like us tracking <laughs> the mock draft, he was like nailing every, I think he got like 16 or 17 of the player to teams. Right, it was like absurdly. Wow. It was just completely absurd. So that was by far my favorite. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Hayden, what's it been like working for Underdog? I mean, this new platform came on. It's been taking parts of the industry by storm. We have shows built around it. We absolutely love it. You work with them. What has that been like? Yeah, it's been chaos. I loved working at Roto World. Roto World was like all fantasy. It was just like blurb podcast the usual the writing stuff underdog i'm doing more marketing stuff on top of the content which is like good for me i enjoy mm -hmm. it's been very fun but it, everyone's young uh everyone's got great energy great ideas it's just about how do we scale this thing properly but everybody we work with is got the right energy and that's like the coolest part that's, that's awesome, awesome. So how about uh turn in a different direction here your favorite <laughs> swear word I think anything with shit in front of it, shit idiot, shit bag, any of that stuff, the classic. <laughs> shit idiot. Stub your toe. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, you can call somebody a name. If you are hurt, it works. Everything is not like too vulgar. So I think you can kind of get away with it. Love it. What is the, you know, best ball excluded? Cause, you know, those could get real high up there. But what's the most leagues that you've played in uh, in one in one season? Like, dynasty and probably not as many as you guys would think it's probably like been like five I've, i was okay. doing like some some baseball leagues I, I i've been doing a lot of best ball leagues but that's like you said totally different um yeah grinding the waivers and stuff's a lot and <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't been doing and I, I obsess over like the two or three leagues like i'm most involved in and anything beyond that i just like kind of zone out so it's only been like probably three to five is usually how oh. how many i'll do most exciting fantasy football moment Man, that's tough. I one thing I always remember is like our peak high school. We had our friend leagues, and every single Sunday we would be over. And week one was always nuts. The entire fantasy league would come over to my parents' house, and like the rule was, the first touchdown your team scored, you had to go run and jump in the pool. So we'd oh, all be like watching true. on like the Octo Box on Direct TV and like yes. obsessing over. And then right when you just run into the pool, so like <laughs> yes. all that stuff was the yes. best. I love that's it. That's awesome. That's amazing. So I've got two questions here for you because our Jersey Jay's got a question. Does Underdog put in lineups to make it harder to win? So the only difference with between best ball and regular is you're not setting your lineups. All you have to do is draft 18 rounds is the, the typical draft. And we're going to take your best scoring lineup each week, which makes you, you you're able to do 50, hundred people are doing hundreds and hundreds of uh, best ball drafts because there is no managing. There is no shady yeah, trade offers. None of that stuff. It's just, you show up draft and then you don't for uh, don't have to worry about that lineup at all. So the lineup thing is, if you make wrong decisions on sit starts, best ball is the platform for you because we'll just take the best version of it. Love it. 
So you've dipped your toes. Speaking of best ball, you've dipped your toes. You talked about Roto World. You've done the managed league style. And, and, I, and I've, you know, obviously listened to this st- show and stuff. And you talk a little bit about both best ball and managed. I wonder if you'd speak a little bit to the biggest takeaways you have working Roto World and then underdog and, and between managed and best ball. Yeah, so I think best ball tournaments, and that's like what most people, when you're talking about best ball, the, the big difference is like ceiling is what matters. Like uh, best ball mania three, there's 400,000 people in it. If you're not trying to come in first place, like what are you doing here against your friends? You're still trying to come in first place, but it's out of like versus 10 or 12. It's much easier to, to win. You don't have to come up into first place as often. Then there's like some unique scoring systems. Like I think a lot of leagues are PPR, underdogs half PPR. Um, and I think the other thing is like the, I call it better in best ball, like somebody like peak Deshaun Jackson, like uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling, like everyone Tyler that's scared Lockett. to put them in. Yeah. Everyone that's scared to put them into your weekly lineup in best ball, you draft them. You don't, you just take the spike weeks when they have zero points. It doesn't matter to you. So like those are like the main differences, but for the most part, you're just generally drafting for even a higher ceiling than uh, you otherwise would have been. Love, Love that uh, here on the show. Hayden, we like to, you know, we do a little thing called reach for your guy. <laughs> and so, you know, being that the football season is right around the corner, who is your favorite guy to reach on this year or a guy that you're willing to, Hey, I understand I'm going to have to pay a round or two above uh, what ADP is, but I am going to get this guy on my team because he is going to be that electric. Who's that guy for you this year? Trey so- Sermon again. <laughs> if if we get into like a 20 round draft i can sell yeah. you on trey sermon uh for me right now it's it's melvin gordon i think there's like two ways you can kind of get yeah. there one if like today's news that he's in a 55 45 timeshare he goes in like round 10 on underdog in some leagues he might even go a little later than that i think there's a chance he just like pays off that price tag even in a committee and then if javante gets hurt i think this offense is going to be electric as we know melvin gordon has done it before he's going to play all three downs their third string running back um Boone is just always been a special teener. I I like him. He's explosive, but like they're never giving him the ball. So if something ever happens to Javante, Melvin Gordon would be in line for like 20 touches. And there's not many running backs in that range that have like, maybe he can be a flex play. And at the same time, he could be a top five fantasy running back. Mm Mm-hmm. Last question here for you, Hayden kickoffs in two minutes. You're still deciding your flex. Do you go with your gut or your weekly rankings? Yeah, I mean, I have no choice but to answer this as weekly ranking because I do weekly rankings. And if I'm saying I'm not facing my own lineups, then what is anyone going to click on my stuff for? Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm always like I'm always the the mental. I got the analytics and all that stuff. It's it's less of a gut feeling for me. So I have to go to the rankings. Take the decision fatigue out of it. Well, appreciate you answering those questions for us, Aiden. We're going to jump in to some real news, or maybe not real news. We'll kind of decide yeah. that here on the panel. The first of which uh, is that the athletic, the athletics, Kevin Fishbane and Adam Johns report that David Montgomery is seeing reps on special teams. Johnny, does this kind of? <laughs> we've heard of players going from special teams to starters, but maybe not starters to special teams. How are you feeling about David Montgomery in this situation? Yeah, certainly not running backs. Like, I can understand, you know, like OBJ, he did it, but that made sense. Like, he's a super electric, dynamic wide receiver, and he can make plays in the open space. Like, what are we doing? David Montgomery's history has shown, like, he's the most fragile running back. He's very good, but he is very fragile. And all of a sudden, oh, yeah, hey, I think it's a good idea to put that guy on special teams and and kicking and, and receiving punts. Yet that scares the hell out of me. I'm not going to lie. It's almost as if they want this guy. I I say this sounds bad, but like it sounds like they want him to kind of die and go away. Um, So that way they don't have to repay him. But 
I mean, if you're in a league where you do get return yards, you kind of do like this news a little bit because any little fantasy points could end up helping you win. Uh, but certainly as someone who's like, been a fan of david montgomery and wanting him to get more opportunity this was not the more opportunity that i had in mind <laughs> to get on the field well speaking of more opportunity the chargers are uh well the athletics daniel popper who covers the chargers is, notes that isaiah spiller continues to play primarily with the second and third teams i basically just wanted to bring this up to say we had that first report come out that he was running with the first team and he was the only one, you know, besides okay. Eckler running with it. She then edited her report and said, look, everybody's kind of got mixed in with the first team. So I, this is just another uh, call to Whisper Nation to not just read the headline and go with that. Do a little bit of digging or come to us, ask us in our Discord, which you can get to with the link, and we'll try to parse through that a little bit. Um, but I want to move on to Pittsburgh here and ask Hayden about his boy, well, not his his boy. I mean, Mitch Trubisky is apparently not looking sharp. That's per Athletics Mark Caboli. But I know that you're a big um, uh, picket stan, or I've heard you at least be on that side yeah. there. And apparently, this blurb said that he's you know pickets even behind Trubisky, and that you know maybe Mason Rudolph is going to get some first team reps. How are you feeling about just Pittsburgh, the quarterback situation, the whole offense? It sounds really bad. Like all of them, <laughs> like all of them yeah. seem like they're struggling. I yeah I. I guess compared to the market, I thought that Kenny Pickett could play a little bit more. I thought he was more athletic. His accuracy yeah. was there. I did have struggles with like his overall going through progressions. He was not like this ch check down one, two. He was kind of more like a big play specialist, which I thought people were kept getting that wrong. But at the same time, he didn't not go in the top 10 for a reason. I, I have very low expectations in general. I just thought other people were like, He's the same as Desmond Ritter. I was like, no, no, no. I think he's a little bit above that. Um, I'm expecting him to play week four, week eight, somewhere in that range. I think he's going to finish the year. Maybe they give Trubisky the first couple of games, but I'm not a big Trubisky guy myself. I kind of was liking Trubisky, especially in best ball late, because he has that rushing upside a little bit too. But uh, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about this Pittsburgh offense. I keep wanting to trust Tomlin and like all these things, but it just it gets you a little bit Trubisky's woozy. a game time player. He, he yeah. just turns it on. Well, we'll see. Yeah, I, we you hope so, missing all those passes <laughs> and drills. Uh, moving on to New York, the athletic Zach Rosenblatt writes that Elijah Moore seems to have firmly established himself as the number one receiver. Austin, we're here for all of this, right? Yeah. I'm glad to see it, and I'm a little bit bummed that I wasn't able to get Elijah Moore in our Dynasty League before this news broke. With the Garrett Wilson draft pick, everybody had been slotting Garrett Wilson to be that number one guy, and we quickly forget that Elijah Moore during weeks 9 through 13 of last year, right before he got hurt, Elijah Moore was the number two overall wide receiver in the NFL just behind Justin Jefferson and ahead of Debo Samuel and Stefan Diggs during that exact same stretch. Garrett Wilson had zero points. So I like Elijah Moore. I like what he could do. I think he was getting a little bit overshadowed by the splashy pick. That doesn't say anything about Elijah Moore's talent. He is good. I would be happy to have him on my dynasty team. What does this do for Braxton Barrios? Barrios? What does this do for our boy Braxton Barrios? Yeah, he's fine. He's the stud. Yeah, he's already in there. Yeah. All right. Uh, Denver had some bad news, kind of the first big major injury, I, I would say, of the of the offseason. Broncos beat writer Mike Cleese reports that Tim Patrick suffered a torn ACL uh, last Tuesday here of this week. Johnny, I really just want to ask what this means for, like, Jerry, Judy, maybe Albert O, and, and, and the, you know, the environment of the wide receivers and pass catchers in Denver. 
This makes me extremely sad because I love TP. I loved his ADP. I th- I thought he was going to be – he is a really good wide receiver. And then getting him paired with Russell Wilson, uh, I thought he was going to have a really good fantasy season. Obviously, out for the season, that means that, you know, now opens the door potentially for Jerry Judy to actually be able to meet expectations – I still don't think they quite put him out as the wide receiver on the outside. You got KJ Hamler out there who becomes interesting. Uh, and, and then, you know, our, O talking about him, he should see a slight uptick as well in targets uh, because of it, but definitely, definitely hurts this offense in my opinion, because I do believe Tim Patrick was that good of a wide receiver for him. Friend of the show, Cecil Lammy was even saying that Tim Patrick had designed plays specially for him in this offense. So that's something that's coming off the table now. We'll see what's going on there. Hayden, we're going to end it with Debo Samuel, who has been in the news this week because he said he's willing to do whatever it takes when asked about his role heading into 2022, even trying to dismiss the rumors that he didn't appreciate being used as a running back but not getting paid for it. Hayden, with Debo, we've had this situation where we liked what he did last year, but it looks like regression is coming for our guy here. Do you feel the same, or does this kind of news help you end the contract? You know, Evan Silva pointed out the incentive for running back is kind of team-friendly, meaning they could probably use him more that way again. How do you feel about Debo, and and where are you taking him here here this year? I have him ranking 30th overall, which is like well after ADP. He's been Mm. going second round in underdog. And I think the two main reasons is one, the regression, like his numbers, even if he is a superstar, which I completely agree with, superstars still don't even reach those levels of being an outlier. And then the second part to me is as much as we don't like Jimmy G, and yes, I can agree that he's stunting the 49ers' chances of winning the actual Super Bowl, he still is an efficient passer. Like whether mm-hmm. we agree it's him or the offense, all that stuff. I think you're adding a little bit of variance coming with Trey Lance, who I thought had some struggles even at uh, in college, just about his mechanics and the, what he was doing with the offense. He can throw the uh, pretty deep ball, but there's some inconsistencies there. And like this is notoriously a slow pace offense, notoriously run first offense, especially with Trey Lance. So I'm a little bit nervous about spending a second round pick on a wide receiver. I've been going Trey Lance and then Brandon Ayuk, or I'll go George Kittle. And at least I'm soaking up the tight end spot, but I, I think Debo's more of a third round pick. Love it. Love it. Love it. And we love Hayden being here from underdog fantasy football. This is just a reminder that you can use promo code TFW for up to a hundred dollars in matched money from underdog. I think it comes right from Hayden's pocket. So he will match your money. Yeah. A hundred bucks right from his paycheck. If you use the promo code TFW and a big announcement, we are launching best ball brunch this Saturday on the TFW channel here. So 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. We'll be drafting on underdog. Come win some money with us live. Get Whisper loose. Nation needs to know a little bit. I know you kind of prefaced it a little bit here, Hayden, but just one more time, an overview of what best ball is. It's taking the industry by storm, but a lot of our viewers, a lot of our listeners are that managed league. They come in around this time to play in their, you know, home league. But best ball, man, it's a great opportunity to get in there, have some fun. Tell them about it. Yes, I think the big thing is the prize pools are ridiculous. We have a $10 million prize pool with Best Ball Mania 3. There, That's a $25 entry. We also have the Puppy, which is only a $5 tournament. I'm done with the mock drafts. I think Best Ball has replaced mock drafts mm. now. I think we have to just mm. do some Best Ball drafts. The ADP at Underdog is from users who have been spending money on it, so it's a good way to like figure out in your home leagues where players should be drafted versus the default rankings. But ultimately, mm. 18 rounds, 
you don't have to stay your lineups. You can do a bunch of drafts if you want to. And all of a sudden you have a good feel for where, what strategies you like this year, which spots do you like to draft from, uh, who are your favorite sleepers. You can kind of figure it out against other people who are also doing the same thing. And uh, you can win $2 million in first place if you have the nuts. Hey, you, you kind of created that better in best ball metric, I think, that you use, right? And yeah. I wanted to ask, you know, you're talking about, hey, get out there and use best ball drafts as your guide. Do we think that the variance between like a better in best ball player and a managed league player is enough to persuade people to do that? Or do you think the variance isn't that much? Like get out there and draft on underdog. Yeah, it, it's there's some minor differences for the most part. And I think like we've galaxy brained into like week 17 correlation, which I don't even want to get into. But there's some reasons why the ADP might not be exactly perfect but i still think it's better than like espn's default rankings or mm -hmm. yahoo's default rankings or wherever you're drafting your home leagues this is still the best way to do it and you got to practice like you can do a full draft uh and you can watch that team people are live out. bodies are in there which is yeah exactly yeah, I mean, you're doing yeah. like a calculator and then like all of a sudden like everyone's abandoned it or the calculator's like giving you like the most stacked team ever let's have some realistic teams and you got to sweat it out the entire season too so might as well Love it. Well, what we kind of did today was take a, a few of your articles and, and kind of chop them up. Each of us kind of took a little bit of what you had out there. And there's great stuff. Uh, Whisper Nation, if you're watching on YouTube, all the links to the articles we're going to discuss today are in the description. The first one we're going to start with is the absolutely free, free 99 2022 underdog football show draft guide. And in that you have all sorts of great infographics. So shout out to the team over there. But one of the uh, infographics that kind of caught my eye was the 10 must-draft players, Hayden, that you had. And one of those is Elijah Mitchell. And I chose him because he's been such a polarizing person, both in managed, best ball, whatever. And that backfield, obviously, we talked a little bit about Shanahan and that stuff. Yeah, you, know, you called Mitchell a speed back, a shoe-in uh, to be the, the lead back. We look at San Fran's offense, Hayden. They've been top 12 in rushing attempts and top 10 in running plays over 15 yards in three of the last five seasons. Mitchell himself uh, was fourth in runs over 10-plus yards last year. We know he's a risk to seed like passing game work, to, to you know, and maybe because of Trey Lance too, that's an issue. But is his must-draft status for you basically a bet on his talent as a pure rusher or the scheme or both? I, I think it is both. I think that he's a perfect fit in it. And that's why I think Trey Sermon ultimately kind of busted is Shanahan likes the speed. And I think that is especially going to be the case with uh, Trey Lance back there. Um, I, I just think if you look at his stats from last year, like you said, he's just such an explosive rusher. This is what this offense does historically. If you look at last year's per game numbers, he was equivalent to 32nd overall in my metrics. And he's going in the sixth round against some other uh, running backs like Antonio Gibson, Josh Jacobs, who I just can't project for as many explosive plays. I'm not projecting him for passing downs, but I don't think there's anything about Elijah Mitchell's game where we should just say he'll never do that. There's mm -hmm. even a little upside that he could develop into that role. And I think the thing that's making Elijah Mitchell a good value right now is everyone's so scared of the Kyle Shanahan history with running backs. But if you look at it, they've just been getting injured. And I think that's just a lot of injury, mm -hmm. bad luck. And Elijah Mitchell was very good last year. And like the Alfred Morris years, there was a couple years with Devonta Freeman where it's like back-to-back -back seasons. They do go to them if they can stay healthy. So I'm not sure if I'm ready to say that Elijah Mitchell is like more prone to injuries just because he's attached to Kyle Shanahan. I don't know if they're uh, feeding him the wrong things or whatever, but I'm not willing to go there. So I'm just going to ride this thing out. I know the offense is going to be good because it always is. And I'm pretty positive that Elijah Mitchell 
uh, is good himself. It's that that system is very harsh on running backs because of the the type of you know cuts they have to make, and then again generally when you talk about speed and running backs they're on the lighter end of that Mm -hmm. and so you're you know we always talk about how running the ball is like a car accident right when they're getting hit so it does kind of make sense that a lot of these running backs do end up getting banged up and injured often because you're you know compound compounding it with two uh very vicious kind of uh football players but yeah, Elijah also, Mitchell is very fun to watch and very electric uh, when he gets the ball and when he's on the field. Yeah, I also think to your point, Hayden, we saw them try to make Mostert the thing. He just couldn't stay healthy. Like, yeah. So they were still, though, returning back. Like last year, even with the Sermon stuff where we got fooled, Mostert took the first snap. Like Mostert walked out there before he got hurt. And then and he, so, yeah, he got yeah. injured on the second <laughs> right. snap. So you just hope that we get a little bit more durability out of He did bulk uh, Mitchell. up a little bit. With, yeah. And he is a little bit bigger than Raheem Mostert in, in, in general. So they're 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 developing a plan. And so maybe there is something to the system that makes it that way. But I think going back to the best ball versus your redraft league is like in best ball, you got to come in first out of hundreds of thousands of people. So you got to be mega right <clears throat> in your home league. If you miss on your sixth pick, that that does stink. Uh, maybe you want a little bit more safety. But I think in best ball, especially half PPR, I think Elijah Mitchell kind of checks a lot of boxes. Yeah, and I think the reason I wanted to bring up those 10-plus yards, 15-plus yards in the system, kind of that best ball notion, it's like he may not get pass catching. Maybe he doesn't get goal line. Maybe they give that to TDP or Sermon or or Lance. But he's going to have big plays. And in best ball, that's that's a good thing. So we'll move on here. But uh, to move from a positive to a negative here, Hayden, you're throwing shade at everybody's boy here, Brees Hall, and saying he's part of your 10 players to avoid. Your, uh, you know, I'll let people go and read it on on the site here. But is this purely just an ADP play based yes. on the guys that are going around him? Yeah, I just think it's ADP, and there's, I have nothing against Brees Hall. I thought maybe Ken Ken Walker's a little bit better of a rusher, but Brees Hall had a great profile. My metrics liked him. I thought he was a good player by himself the offensive line is better than it is in Seattle. All that stuff. At the end of the day, the Jets are projected for five and a half wins this year. And they're going to use a committee and Michael Carter, I think is pretty good. So a lot of things have to go right for him to be uh, pay off a fourth round ADP. I think what's going to happen, he's probably going to be like a flex play to start the season then kind of develop into an RB two. There's a lot of players going right next to him where I think you're just going to have RB two production the entire time. So this is more of a bet against Zach Wilson more than anything. And if Brees Hall was a fifth round pick, sixth round pick, he would be nowhere near this. I just thought it was a little unfair that Kenneth Walker goes 110th overall and Brees Hall goes 40th overall when they were drafted four or five picks apart in the actual NFL draft. Mm, that's a good point there. Yeah. You also have a metric in here or a, a infographic that says the ideal draft and you kind of list all your players, but you started at 104. So Mr. Winks, we have asked several guests before their favorite spot to draft from. You selected 104 in the guide. I wonder if you'd speak to why you like 104 so much. So I think there is a top four. I think people throw in Jamar Chase at the end of it. Maybe somebody puts Austin Eckler into it. I think there's a top four. I think Justin Jefferson, Cooper Cup project for so many more targets than Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase is a baller in his own right. But Justin Jefferson could have 200 targets here. And I would be pretty surprised if Jamar Chase did that. Mm -hmm. So I like going Justin Jefferson at the four spot. And the reason why I like is the running backs at the round two, three turn to me look really good. Like, it's a, there's definitely a little bit of risk, but like Leonard Fournette has tons of upside. Javante Williams has tons of upside. James Conner, DeAndre Swift, Saquon Barkley's kind of graduated from that mm-hmm. that tier. But 
there you can go Justin Jefferson running back running back and all of a sudden I've got like my anchor wide receiver two stud running backs that I'll bank on staying healthy and then from rounds four all the way to round 10 hammer a couple more wide receivers and get out of there but I just think that Justin Jefferson has special ability the offense projects better but more importantly the round two three turn I like the running backs at that spot smart yeah, and maybe not as much the wide receivers in that range, too. Like, they, there's a little bit more questions in that range, too. We've got some questions about the Buffalo offense. We've been hearing a lot of talk surrounding the secondary uh, passing options in Buffalo, and rightfully so when we look at, like, Josh Allen leading this offense. The catchy narrative with Dawson Knox, who you have as a must draft or an ideal draft in the ninth round of a best ball tournament here, is that he was too touchdown dependent. But you and Josh have done some work to counter that narrative. I've also heard the great Matt Waldman say that when Allen looks to go down the seam and, and the tight throws, he looks to Dawson Knox. So do you think there's a scenario where we've kind of got it wrong on Gabe Davis, McKenzie, Crowder, James Cook, and really Dawson Knox could be that guy to kind of trickle in a, a few of all those targets and be this secondary option there? Yeah, so I have a touchdown regression model myself. Yes, he is a negative touchdown regression candidate, but at the same time, he was second in expected touchdowns. He was, I think, top three, maybe top five in routes run in the red zone. The reason why he scores so many touchdowns is because he plays for the Bills, and Josh Allen throws a lot of touchdowns. So uh, he's a very athletic player, and like you said, uh, I think he can pay off this ADP just by the trickling down just because his offense plays with so much pace, so much neutral pass rate. But at the same time, I think that there's a little more fragility at the wide receiver position compared to last year's. What happens if Steph Diggs goes down? What happens if Gabe Davis isn't as good? All of a sudden, you have a, a year four player uh, with great athleticism who has been progressing each year, and all of a sudden you have him attached to Josh Allen. So I like him better compared to uh, like TJ Hawkinson, Dalton Schultz, I think that Dawson Knox is underrated as a pure talent, and the the scheme is perfect. He was like top five in routes run last year too. So I think his floor is pretty safe, even if you regress some of the touchdowns. And this is one of those offenses where we can just I can just keep saying, oh, he's a negative touchdown regression candidate for three straight years, and that's just because Josh Allen's going to outproduce the, those models. You know, I was going to say I'm old enough to remember, and even as a Packers fan, that Devontae Adams was scoring too many touchdowns. Yep. Like he had two back-to-back double-digit touchdown years after almost being a bust. I'm not saying Dawson Knox is Devontae Adams, but also Aaron Jones was a guy that we kept saying re- touchdown regression for, right? And then it's like, oh, wait, these guys play in Aaron Rodgers' offense. These yeah. guys in Buffalo play in Josh Allen's offense. So if we – like Josh Allen that much, then maybe there's something there to see. Do, we, with Dawson Knox. do we know if uh, if Knox is on Josh Allen's fantasy team again this year? I think, <laughs> that would I be think, that would be helpful. Yeah, that would be helpful because I think that could be a reason why he was uh, you know targeting him so much in the end zone last year is because he was like, hey, I need these six points for my yeah, team. Yeah, right. There <laughs> was a couple of plays. I think crazy play where Josh Allen was scrambling to the right and he was like arguably out of bounds. He just like tossed it up. Dawson Knox cut a touchdown there. So there was like a lot of randomness, but. To get lucky in the touchdown department, you have to be in the red zone. And this Bills team, trust me, will be in the red Lives zone. So I will roll the dice on Dawson Knox. And like if Steph Diggs misses time, like man, like Dawson Knox, I think could like leap into like the top three conversation. Like I'm mm, seeing like a little yeah, bit like Darren Darren Waller where athleticism, all of a sudden like the targets that aren't aren't as valuable around him, and all of a sudden you're in a good offense with a decent quarterback and like you're rocking and rolling. So he, he might be my favorite player. I should have done like the reach thing instead of Melvin Gordon. 
I should have done for Dawson. Dawson. Well, we'll let you. We'll let you redact Melvin Gordon. Yeah, you can do it. We'll we'll edit it. We'll go back. Addendum. Well, addendum. Uh, Right. Yeah. As long as the live people don't say anything. All right. So we'll move on to the next article here, which was uh, you. You did an article for the top fifty fantasy football storylines heading into NFL training camp. I do have a question on this. Uh, your number six question was, how are Javante Williams and Melvin Corden uh, splitting reps? We kind of touched on this uh, earlier in the show, uh, but we didn't super dive into it, and we haven't really dove a significant amount on this show. So we kind of wanted to talk to you about this. Last year, we know it was literally a 50-50 split between Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams. This year, you know, a lot of people are expecting Javante to, you know, take and, and, and capture the bulk of the carries there. What are you hearing and seeing or, or thinking uh, that this split is going to be? Because as we all know, new coaching staff, Justin uh, Alden is now the, uh, I believe I said that right, uh, is the, now the offensive coordinator who comes from Green Bay and Atlanta, has that, you know, Kyle Shanahan coaching tree, uh, you know, coaching system. So what are you expecting and seeing, hearing uh, about Javante and Gordon's split this this year? For Broncos coverage, I look at Benjamin Albright and Mike Kliss uh, just in general, and it seems like they're on the same page that Javante Williams is the one, but is more of the 1A to the 1B. And last year, Melvin Gordon would come on the field first, and in the next series, it would be Javante Williams. I think it's going to be the inverse of that with a little bit more towards Javante Williams, but I do think that they probably view Melvin Gordon as the more reliable uh, pass catcher. And last year, Melvin Gordon was the most more consistent runner against – uh, in that wide zone scheme. And I think that Javante Williams has a little bit of room for improvement there, but at the same exact time, I am looking at upside here. So like, I think the like the most likely scenario is you're drafting Javante Williams 24th overall, and he really ends up being like the 32nd overall player slight loss, but there's a chance that he has a top three, top five season in him. And I think ultimately in fantasy, we have to be playing for ceiling. So uh, I think this was a slight win for Melvin Gordon, maybe a slight loss for Javante Williams, but I was always projecting this kind of a 60 40 split here. And even if my median projection for Javante is a little bit lower than where his ADP is, I still want that path to that, like Jonathan Taylor type of season. I still think that Javante Williams has that even if it requires an injury or Melvin Gordon missing time. Well, and like maybe it just their hand gets forced. If you look at some yeah. of the moves, like the way they let Melvin Gordon test the market, right? And then he kind of came back. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's like they could start 60-40, but a month into the season, they go, yep. hey, like Javante's that dude. He's got the dog in him. Like, let's get it going right now. Yeah. And do you think he'll get the first crack at the uh, red zone touches and the, and the goal the line? The pass catchings, the other stuff too. Like who's going to get the split on that? Yeah, so last year was more or less like, I get the first drive, you get the second drive, and then Melvin Gordon would end up playing a little, a few more snaps because he would come in the second, start the second half as well, even if he finished the last drive. I think that's where it's going to be the inverse, where Javante is getting the first crack at it. It's it's not like other backfields where it's like I'm the passing down guy, you're the short yardage guy. It's a little bit just yeah. kind of Melvin and Javante can kind of do a little bit of each of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really just comes down to Javante's development. I going back to like the scouting reports, Javante Williams, like early declare was a valedictorian at his high school. Daniel Jeremiah said he's the best interview uh, of the draft class. So I think that there's reasons for optimism for Javante Williams. Um, So I, I've, I haven't didn't really move my rankings much at all for this report. And this is Javante is just so fun too. you watch him on film. He just like confirms what you think about him. Yeah. Yep. 
he definitely is on that one. Yeah, uh, let's do it. All right, Hayden. So uh, another question you have here, are where are the Chiefs wide receivers lining up? And uh, so I wanted to dive in this with you because the reason why it's so significant uh, and why it's important to know these kinds of things, the X's and O's part, uh, is because, you know, we obviously know Tyreek Hill not with the Chiefs anymore. Last few years, you know, he's flirted with 24% or above target market share. And then, you know, most people now are expecting, oh, it could be, you know, spread out or, uh, you know, it could go to one guy one week and another guy another week. However, if we look at Andy Reid and his history of wide receivers and targets, uh, we saw that, you know, Jeremy Macklin, before Tyreek Hill had the 24% market share, Jeremy Macklin had 25% market share in this offense uh, for multiple years. So it does end up being somewhat important where these guys are lining up because that could potentially tip a cap or tip a hand as to who that guy could be for Kansas City this year to help fill those voided targets so where are you thinking players are going to um you know ultimately end up lining up and who do you think gets in uh the bulk uh majority of those targets you know besides travis kelsey because travis kelsey is going to get his 25 percent. yeah so i think that marcus Valdez scantling's the easiest to project because he's the downfield threat. That's not where Juju wins. That's not where McCall Hardman wins necessarily. That's not where I don't think Sky Moore is going to end up winning. He's going to be on the outside. He's going to be running those deep routes. He also, he also got more money in the second season. I think it was three years, $30 million, a little more guaranteed money than we were expecting. So I think that MVS is like a very safe pick, mm -hmm. at least in best ball. I think he's going to be out there no matter what. He's a lock to score, what, four or five long touchdowns this year in this offense. Juju Smith-Schuster is going ahead of MVS, and I think probably because he projects for more targets, receptions. I think he's going to start in the slot. I think there's a chance that he would play in two wide receiver sets as well, which he's doing in, in Pittsburgh uh, before Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson got there. I think he's physical enough to do that, so I feel good about Juju. Sky Moore versus McCall Hardman is kind of where the debate is to me. Are they going to be playing on the outside? Are they going to be playing on the inside? I think ultimately McCall Hardman's probably going to start the season as the number three receiver. He's the gadget guy. And then eventually Sky Moore is going to earn those reps. But Sky Moore has been balling out in, in camp. And what makes this so challenging for fantasy is uh, Patrick Mahomes goes in the fifth round now, which is very intriguing to me on underdog. And you can get any of these guys after Patrick Mahomes. So like it, clearly if Patrick Mahomes rebounds to like the around three value, somebody's getting dragged along most likely two of these guys are getting dragged along. So my favorite would be go Juju and then MVS. They're also the two most expensive. Um, but I'm, I'm open to McCole Hardman breakout season. I'm open to Sky Moore breakout season too. Nice. I love that. Uh, last question I got for you here. You know, we're talking the Cincinnati Bengals. Joe Mixon uh, is, you know, obviously the starter there for uh, Cincinnati Bengals. And when he is healthy, we've seen uh, Zach Taylor. He just will feed him. He will give him 66% uh, or more of the rushing share. The interesting part is that we have seen when Joe Mixon, you know, because he has been banged up from time to time, Zach Taylor, the, the backup running back comes in and he ends up taking those Joe Mixon roles. It's not like this kind of split kind of thing where he goes between multiple running backs. He usually gives the bulk of the carries to one guy, making him what we like to say a straight up handcuff for a dog. So what I want to know is which one of these guys, which one of these guys is that guy? Because Right now, we don't necessarily know who the dog is in this uh, as the backup here. But 
you know, again, statistically, we should want to have that guy just in case Joe Mixon does go down because he's been known to do that. I think Chris Evans is a dog, and that's my guess. Okay. Um, it sounds like Samaj P. Ryan and Chris Evans just still a dog. That's just, just a total dog. Uh, oh, uh, he's a total dog. He's a total dog. <laughs> he's just like freak athlete, and they were using him on passing situations at times last year as a rookie. And I just think that there's upside for more. He hasn't proven this at the college level. He didn't prove it in the as a as a prospect. He didn't get drafted high. But if you just sort by athleticism. Chris Evans is a total dog. So I've been rolling the dice on him. I just can't do it with Samaj P. Ryan. He's making less money uh, than the Best Ball Mania 3 winner, which is immediately on my <laughs> do not draft list if you're making less money than the Best Ball Mania 3 winner. And Ooh, he is, so I have shady. to go to Chris Evans. I don't feel very confident in that, but he is worthwhile in like the 17th, 18th round of Best Ball Leagues. Because like, like you said, Whoever the running back is for the Bengals, our offense is too good. We're going to want pieces of him, so I've just been yeah. rolling the dice on Chris Evans. You think Evans profiles as a guy who can do the between the tackle stuff, though? Like if he I gets it, good yeah, enough. you think so? I think okay. I think there's a chance too. I think Samaji P. Ryan might, but I, I'm not sure. I'm not, I think I'm. Just I think the case is like if P. Ryan, like if Mixon's out, P. Ryan's ceiling is like RB three ish, you know, or RB two three, and then if Evans is the guy when Mixon's out, maybe there's some there's a little bit more there. He's yeah, the I dog. exactly i love it all right good stuff there austin uh wanted to talk to you a little bit about your next article which is the zero rb guide for uh, an ideal zero rb guide for 2022 in best ball exactly hayden you write and i quote i believe zero running back teams are drafting too many wide receivers because they believe the position is more volatile than it really is if our zero running back team is smashing it's definitely because the wide receivers we drafted early are smashing so why not actually bet on them doing so by drafting fewer of them wide receivers in general we do this by drafting elite tight ends elite quarterbacks, and with superhero running backs. But the general zero RB narrative is that we still want to, uh, we want a lot of depth at the wide receiver position. I disagree, me being you. Just look at the teams last year who had the elite wide receivers. And you've got this great chart here that you put together. And I was hoping you could speak a little bit on this chart at the data we're looking at. Uh, and break it down for us like we're not smart people. (laughs) So this is looking at the best wide receivers from last year, and I took it from different parts of the draft. So Devontae Adams, Justin Jefferson, Cooper Cup, Debo Samuel, Elijah Moore, Christian Kirk, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, they completely smashed at their draft capital. Then I looked at how these teams did in Best Ball Mania 2 on Underdog last year, how many wide receivers they took. And the teams that had 10 wide receivers with these performed not as good as they did with six or seven. Those two were the highest. So it goes back to to my strategy. If you're drafting five, six, seven stud wide receivers, like let's say your top five at your top eight picks are wide receivers. You don't need eight, nine, 10 wide receivers. You've already put your eggs into this basket. If those wide receivers aren't doing well, your team's not doing well. So this is goes back to the thing. Like we, if you drafted an elite tight end, when are you drafting your second tight end? It's the very last round. We do this with quarterbacks. We do this with running backs. We don't draft four good running backs. Right. But I see this all the time with zero RB. And I really want to make ZR, zero RB viable because I think that it's not being utilized enough. Not enough people are doing zero RB. But I think the people that are doing zero RB are so 
obsessed about these wide receivers and they hate running backs with such a passion mm -hmm. that they wait too long. I think that a zero RB team could be five wide receivers and then you go Elijah Mitchell and then Clyde Edwards Lair and then Melvin Gordon. That to me is still zero RB enough and you only draft six, seven wide receivers. I think that's like the, the skeleton key well, to zero RB. But also, like, are you saying that you also want to attack the other positions like QB or tight end, like in that span, too? Like, mm -hmm. maybe you don't have to. So for these guys that hate RB so much, maybe they don't have to. They could go get a Kyler Murray later or a, a Jalen Hurts later, right? And a tight end that they really like or that we project to be good to make those positional advantages at that yep. position. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that you can have like an if I think it's like you can get funky and you can have like six or seven yeah, running backs if they're going like if your first one's Clyde Edwards Lair and then you're drafted a, a bunch of handcuff types and then a couple like Raheem Mostert types that might get you 10 points and you have six or seven of them because they happened late. And meanwhile, your first five picks are wide receivers and you say, that's enough. These guys got to go, go ham. Like what, what is a Jarvis Landry uh, doing on a team with, with Justin Jefferson and T Higgins and those guys, mm. like if, if Jarvis is in your lineup, that's not good. You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 So that's a great touch on there of how we should be approaching the wide receivers from a zero running back draft build and factoring in some of the other positions as well, specifically tight end and quarterback and getting elite options there to go with those top level wide receivers. But now let's talk about the running backs. You follow up and say the debate really is how far should zero running back push? As in, what is the proper range to draft the RB1? As a baseline, I, meaning you, included the data from the last two seasons, which shows a clear drop-off when teams waited until round nine for their RB1. But there also was a round five drop-off in 2020. I'm guessing we're going to be in this round five through eight range for as late as we should be punting running back on underdog fantasy in particular. This is especially true with wide receivers becoming more expensive and running backs becoming cheaper each season. In full PPR, with waivers and with wide receiver price tags relatively cheaper, I'm open to the RB1 window being even later than round eight. So here on screen, we've got the chart that you shared. This is clearly great data. Again, can you speak a bit on this chart and talk like we're not really that smart of five-year-olds? Yeah, this chart is, is absolutely chaos. And basically what it's, it's showing you is how teams are performing based off of how many running backs they have through each round. So if you have three running backs through round eight or two running backs, and basically you can kind of see the sweet spot of how many running backs you should have throughout each pick. Because most of the best ball discussion has been like, how many running backs should you have at the end of the draft? But that question should mm -hmm. be answered by when you were drafting them in the first place. So this is kind of keeps you on track and going back to the zero RB discussion, half PPR data is so much different than full PPR data. And I think best ball data is much different than managed data um, as well. So I think right now, Round six, round seven is about as far as I would be uh, wanting to push my first running back. Maybe you can get to round eight. Um, mm. but I think like that, if, if you're skipped over the um, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, Cordero, Patterson, those that kind of tier of running backs, and now you're getting into like the James Cook types, like to me, you've punted this thing too far, especially going back to I want to commit to my five stud wide receivers. I don't need that seventh good one. I just want five of them. Do you have a break glass in case of emergency? Like if you went past the seventh round, like what would be your advice to someone who waited too long on zero RB? 
just draft more of them. I, I think it's really <laughs> okay. as simple as that. Like just if you if you waited till the eighth round for your running back one, just then you should up. have three running backs by round eleven. You should have six running backs by round eighteen. <laughs> and I think that's just like the way it's kind of like diminishing returns. Just like whatever position yeah. you didn't draft early, draft more of them late. And I mm, think okay. we've kind of overcomplicated best ball with all this stuff. It really just yeah. comes down to if I if my first four picks hit, I want to actually bet on them. And you can't pretend like your first four picks aren't working out. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in the running anyways. So I brought up your chart, same chart, but using 2020 data. That's when we got there in the bottom right. And then behind it was the chart we showed you earlier from last season. I wanted to know if you, looking at these two different charts, recognized any differences between the two years that stood out in a notable enough fashion to modify your approach to drafts. Yeah, so I think the first thing is these charts are only going to be as um, valuable as like what the market is saying. And, mm-hmm. and on Underdog Fantasy this year, the running backs are going like legitimately like a half round to a full round later than they otherwise would. Um, and I think last year's data in particular, there's a spike in the middle by round mm-hmm. 9, 10, 11, 12. And that's because that's James Cook, Leonard Fournette, among some other players in that range. So um, I think if you're looking at this year by year, you're going to get fooled about like, hey, you should draft a running back in round 10, 11, 12. That's, mm. That'd be too granular. And I think as you get more seasons in, we're going to be able to flatten these things out. So I like looking at these things on the graph, but also applying the context. Like just because Leonard Fournette was a league winner in round 11 doesn't mean uh, uh, there's going to be a round 11 running back this year. Maybe Absolutely. it's the round six seven maybe antonio gibson bounces back clyde edwards alaire bounces back and maybe it's this year it's round six seven is when you're supposed to be drafting the running back so that's where i kind of like to flatten these things out and get as many years of data as i possibly can that's really interesting to watch the patterns of draft capital coming in for these different positions we talk about in our league of record all the time with the running back shifts and the wide receiver increases it is really fascinating and that data helps it out and on that point, Austin, like we were, we've talked with several guests about the RB dead zone, right? And like mm-hmm. how we've had this influx of talented running backs. Do you see that playing a, a little bit of a, you know, at play as you kind of t- have the numbers match the context? Yeah. So I think that the running back dead zone is going to exist somewhat, no matter what. I do think that this year it's less dead just because the mm-hmm. prices have changed a little bit, like I mentioned, and that maybe the like early round running backs are a little bit older than we're used to. Like a lot of like 27, 28 year olds uh, mm-hmm. up in that first first tier. Melvin, maybe. Fournette. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah. those guys. So I, I, I do think that there's a chance that maybe um, a couple of these guys pop in round six, seven, eight, just because the prices have changed a little bit i think like zeke going in the fourth round i think previously he would still be a third round pick maybe even a Mm -hmm. second round pick Mm. we're starting to see some of these guys tilt back a half round i think that matters a little bit but it's like this handful of guys that just don't feel like dead zone guys you know like Mm -hmm. acres and dobbins and like these are like talented dudes and we're just like but maybe we're gonna get tricked again i don't know or maybe i'm gonna get tricked again based on they do seem drunk up these guys dead man walking right there (laughs) yeah So later on in the article, you say that in addition to variance, late round tight ends project as well, if not more than the wide receivers and running backs this deep into drafts. We're about to do a 16 team listener league, and we just did a mock draft for that 16 teamer. And we ended up talking about taking some tight ends later on in the draft than these back end wide receivers, just because starts to make sense they're not a sexy pick but Mm -hmm. when the pool is as depleted as it is it's better to take those back end or those mid-level tight ends than those 
back-end wide receivers. The charts you have here seem to agree with that. Can you speak a bit on that and highlight the most important parts of this chart as well as drafting there later on in the deeper rounds? So I think this is going to be especially true this year because the wide receivers are more expensive than they have been at any point in fantasy. And also the elite tight ends seem a little more sus to me. Travis Kelsey's 33 years old. George Kittle has a new quarterback and more target competition than he's ever had with peak Debo, peak Brandon Ayuk. Darren Wallard's never had Hunter Henro, uh, Hunter Renfro breakout or Devontae Adams. Uh, Mark Andrews, I think, might be the exception. Maybe Kyle Pitts, but even Kyle Pitts has to deal with bad quarterback play so i don't think the elite tight ends project as well as like pete gronk pete kelsey pete uh george kittle himself so i think that by default i think the late round tight ends are going to project better uh Mm. relative to the position but i think at the end of the day you get to a point where it's like we're drafting like wide receiver threes that might be in like a little bit of a rotation versus like the unsexy austin hooper like what is austin hooper actually going to do but at some point austin hooper is going to be there on every single passing down, there's probably going to catch five touchdowns, and that wide receiver 3-4 that you think might have a little pop right. is playing uh, 30% of the snaps, and he's never getting any targets. I wonder if you do – I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here, but I wonder if you do a little of this or that. Like wide receivers in that range, you're going to pass for – you kind of did it with there with Hooper, but also the converse, like wide receivers you'd be willing to take in that mm-hmm. range over some of the later tight ends like that do have the pops. I'm always yeah. looking for the heroin. Inject me with yeah. the upside, man. I got to have so, my pops, dude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah when we're going like that deep into drafts, I'm talking like 16, 17, 18th uh-huh. round in like a 12-team league. We're talking about like 170th plus overall. Right. If I can find a wide receiver that I think is going to be in two wide receiver sets, and this is something I've learned the last couple of years is the difference between a wide receiver playing in three wide receiver sets and two wide receiver sets is a pretty big deal because mm. once you get to the red zone, that little slot receiver is not – in that package and we're all about touchdowns especially in half ppr so Mm -hmm. donovan peoples jones nico collins they're playing on bad offenses i we can debate how good they are but they do win downfield and they have the size profile to play into wide receiver set so basically at the end of at the end of drafts i'm just kind of sorting is this player going to be in two wide receiver sets Mm -hmm. or is he a lot receiver for one of the past best passing games in the league and that's where we got uh, isaiah mckenzie potentially this year just like being a slot player in like one of the most explosive offenses buffalo bills love it like like love it so before we end the show hayden this has been an absolute treat we appreciate your time and and just all the knowledge you've been dropping here do you have any general fantasy football and or best ball philosophies that you'd like to lean on and give whisper nation here uh some some advice nuggets here to end it out yeah i don't think that you should be like team analytics or team film or any of that stuff i i lean on news a lot and contracts and all that stuff and i think we get carried away by being team analytics or team film and all that stuff a little bit too much you should be digesting all of this stuff like regression matters Mm. just as much as like the context of like where players are lining up like today we talked about regression we talked about these charts but at the same time it still comes down to how are you being utilized are you going to be in red zone packages all that stuff actually ends up mattering and you can think of players so damn good like trey sermon but if the reports are saying that all of a sudden he's out of favor, like you have to follow that stuff. So I've been, I spent most of my time reading the beat reporters of the teams and digesting that information. I think that's kind of like the, the biggest thing that gets overlooked. 
Mm. Dude, a spreadsheet guy saying, hey, it's not all about the spreadsheets. I love it. Thank you so much, Hayden. That's that's awesome, man. Uh, well, thank you and thank Whisper Nation for being here with us. Reminder, we're doing Best Ball Brunch this Saturday, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. And if you use the promo code TFW on Underdog Fantasy, you get up to $100 in matched money. So use that promo code so Hayden can give you 100 bucks tonight so you can draft and win money with us on Saturday. For Johnny Game Time Hicks, for Austin Sear, I am Big Travi, and we're the Fantasy Whispers. We're out of here. Peace. Peace. Right here. Hey, do you like mock drafts? We do too. You can come back every Monday and mock with us. Check out one of these videos and make sure.